now at Revelation chapter 5 in our sermon series from that book. Last week we came to chapter 4 and that brought us to a new section that follows after the letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches. So that part ended and there was a little, John had a little breather it looks like. And he was filled with the Spirit again, and then he was called to come up into the, uh, to an open door and to have uh, where a vision was given to him. And uh, this, this section was introduced by John, John telling us that and the voice saying, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. I reminded you that at the beginning of the book of Revelation, we're told what kind of revelation it is, what it's about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And John wrote his gospel, as we've mentioned, the gospel of John, because he walked with Jesus. He saw him and touched him and heard him. And then he wrote about the things faithfully as God commanded him to do as an apostle so that we could have fellowship with him. But now, when John was much older, after he had lived a long time, after Jesus had gone, ascended up into heaven, he got to have this wonderful vision to see what Jesus is doing there in glory. It's very, very helpful for us. Uh, he's at the Father's right hand. We know that. Jesus told us that that's where he was going. We now get a window to, through John's vision to see what this is all about. Last week, we covered the whole of chapter 4. It focused on the throne of God upon which he was gloriously seated. The Father was gloriously seated. Everything mentioned in connection with his throne, showing his reign over us, the nature of his reign over the whole creation, and particularly over his people. Very wonderful things. I just prayed through those things, actually, in the, in the pastoral prayer. He's with his people, the church militant of which we are a part. He was represented by the, we were represented by the 24 elders on the thrones and the four living creatures that represent the, uh, the ministers. Um, the church is filled with adoration and worship of him. There are all sorts of symbols of his gracious relationship to us there. His own likeness to a jasper and sardis stone that symbolize his redeemed people, the First and last stone that is, are on the uh, breastplate that the high priest wore. Um, there was the emerald rainbow pointing to his promise of preservation. The elders clothed in white robes and victory crowns, lightnings and thunderings, and a voice proceeding from the throne that represent his authoritative word. The Holy Spirit who ministers to us, represented by the seven burning lamps with the, before the throne, the sea of glass representing the cleansing that we have by our Lord Jesus Christ. It's represented also by baptism, waters of purification. The four living creatures, again, probably the ministers of the church, because in chapter 5, as I mentioned to you, the reason we say those, the elders of the church um, represent the church and the, um, the, the living creatures represent the ministers is because they profess there that they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the angels are not redeemed, so we can't, see those as angels in that case. And many of the Matthew Henry and uh, James Durham and different people recognize that as a under, proper understanding. I think, they're, I think they make a good case for it. 
We saw that the one seated on the throne was vehemently worshipped by the church. First, they praised him for his holiness and majesty. Verse 8, holy, holy, holy. This is review of chapter 4. Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of your glory. Note there the emphasis on the earth. The earth is full of your glory. Because again, this is about his relationship with his church. That's what this, is, that's what re- this vision is about. It shows us spiritual sim- symbols of the spiritual relationship that the church has with him. Okay, so we are represented by, by these things. Uh, and then in Revelation 4.11, they worship him as the creator of all things. Revelation 4.11, this is a verse that should be familiar to some of our, our young people that are doing the catechism uh, study and the scripture memory with us. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and glory and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Today we're taking up the first seven verses of chapter 5. We're not going to do all of chapter 5 like we did all of chapter 4 last week. In these verses, we're shown how God's plan or decree is put into the hands of Jesus Christ, our mediator who represents us. We read about that in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is the other side of the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. After he died, was raised again, spent the 40 days with his disciples, and then he ascended into heaven. What did it look like on earth? They saw him disappear up into the cloud. What did it look like from heaven? The other side. He came up to the Ancient of Days, and he received dominion and a kingdom that will last forever and ever. And Daniel was troubled as he had seen some of these visions, and it showed that There were these kingdoms that were going to arise in the last one that would trample especially the people of God. Sometimes when it says trample the earth, it's talking about the people of God, the land, the people in the land that were God's people. And that was the judgment that was brought because of the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was that great, uh, the the Roman beast that trampled them down. And uh, And then the kingdom of God. They trampled down the whole church, including the believers, to a certain extent. God preserves his church. We're going to see that in Revelation as we go along. But uh, the church then emerges forth and the kingdom goes into the whole and fills the whole world, which is what is happening now. And uh, so that's what Daniel sees on his side of things or, or on the vision. <laughs> he was on our side of things, but he saw the vision that gave him a window into the other side. And, of course, this is the subject of so many psalms that we sing. We're going to sing Psalm 2 at the end of our service today. It talks about Christ's reign, doesn't it? And how the nations should submit to him if they are wise. Because God has exalted him to, to be the, the one who inherits all nations. Psalm 47 talks about him going up and reigning. Psalm 89 talks about that. Psalm 110. I, I had a hard time choosing which song we were going to sing today um, at the end of our service because there's so many that talk about the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, all of them were written a good, uh, at least uh, 700 years before he came, if not more than that. Here in uh, Revelation 5, 1 through 7 then, we see also from a different vision what Daniel was shown the absolute dominion of our mediator to execute God's decree, God's plan. And uh, then in Revelation 5, 8 through 14 that we'll plan to look at next week, we see the church worshiping him as our worthy reigning redeemer. That's what we do. He ascended up into heaven and we are here and we worship him 
because he has redeemed us and brought us to God. And those of us, those of the saints who have departed and gone up there, they worship. Those of us who are still here, we worship. Together, the, the, the church brings praise and glory and honor to him. So now, today's passage I'll read to you, Revelation 5, 1 through 7. It is the word of God, so give careful attention. Revelation 5, beginning in verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look in it to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And there we will end the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God for his precious, infallible word. Remind you once again that this is a vision. You can have the same vision, or you can have multiple visions of the same thing, showing different aspects of that thing from different perspectives. A vision uses symbols to show us what happened when Christ ascended into heaven to reign at the Father's right hand. Remember that as the Son of God, He had reigned for all eternity with the Father and the Holy Spirit as co-equal and co-eternal with them. But what we have here is Jesus as the Son of Man who, of course, had a created body and spirit. The person was this eternal Son of God, but he had a created body and spirit. The Son of God in human flesh. And we see him here in his office as mediator, as Messiah, as the Christ, the one who is human flesh. And we see him receiving in that capacity as our Lord and mediator, we see him receiving dominion. He's given dominion over all things. He could not reign as our mediator and redeemer, even as the Son of God, until he had first taken a human nature to himself and redeemed us by the cross. It was after that that he ascended and went up to glory to take his seat of reign. And here in our text, we see by these visions that John saw the Father giving dominion to him to reign until all of his enemies are brought under his feet and his church is fully gathered in. He is given dominion. It is placed in his hands to be carried out and executed by the plan of God over the the coming years, which we are involved. We are in the middle of that now until our Lord Jesus returns. So we have here a visual representation of these things through symbols that are given to us. So let's unpack this. Okay, we see first that God the Father sits on the throne with a scroll in His right hand. 
Now in chapter 4, the emphasis was on the throne. John goes up, he sees a throne. Now the emphasis is on the scroll that is taken, take, takes the focus. In 5.1, notice the language, how it focuses on the scroll. And I saw, okay, so he's looking at something, what did I see? In the right hand, okay, of him who sat on the throne, a scroll. It's focused on the scroll. Written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. The scroll represents the decree or the plan of God. Sometimes we hear a word like decree and we got kind of nervous. Decree, what's that? Well, it's, it's the plan of God. Um, in G.I. Williamson's commentary, he has a thing when he talks about the decrees of God. He has a, the little figure shorty that he is sitting down at a drawing table and designing a house. That he's making a, a plan for how he's going to build his house. Well, God has made a plan of how he's going to carry out his purposes in the earth. So we're taught in Scripture this very thing repeatedly that God has an eternal plan. All things are already planned by God the Father and by really the triune God. Acts 15.10 says, Known to God from eternity are all His works. God already knows how things are going to end up. He knows what He's going to do. He has it all planned. He tells us in Isaiah 46 that this is because He's God that He has everything planned. This is the way it is for God. He, he is the one whose plan stands without any alteration. These words from Isaiah 46.9 Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. He's comparing Himself to the idols. He's not like the idols because He's God. Declaring the end from the beginning... And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. The word counsel there is similar to the word decree or plan. My counsel shall stand. I will do everything I want, all of my pleasure. He goes on to describe how a pagan king in Isaiah 46 will, according to his plan, carry out, as all kings do, uh, not that they obey God, but they carry out God's plan that He has for them. Exactly what He's planned is sovereign Lord. In this case, it will involve the releasing of, of Israel from the uh, Babylonian captivity. People struggle when they hear this about God. But we must not allow our limited human minds to object to what God clearly reveals in His Word what the Word clearly teaches, both that we're fully responsible for our actions and that they are our own actions, and that God sovereignly rules over even the actions of pagan kings. We have all kinds of instances of this. For example, when David numbers Israel, it says that Satan put it in the heart of David to do that. In 2 Samuel or Chronicles, I can't remember which is which, and in Chronicles it says that God was the one who moved David to number Israel. God in His sovereign plan did so. Satan as the tempter did so. Both are attributed to that action. So we shouldn't be troubled. We, we need to rely on what God tells us and not try to filter it through our own understanding because we're, we're not God. He says that everything is included in His plan. 
that even the hairs of our head are numbered. In Ephesians 1.11, the inspired apostle refers to God as the one who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Not some things, but all things according to his plan. What better way to symbolize this? If you're going to use a vision, how do you symbolize God has a plan, an eternal plan that's going to be worked out? What, what, how would you depict that to someone if you're an artist? Well, how is it depicted here? God's eternal decree or eternal plan. What better way than to have a scroll written, things written on a scroll in his hand, in the right hand of him who has that plan. A scroll that is full of writing. This is his plan for the future. It's full of writing, it says, on the front and the back. In other words, the plan is complete. It's not, there's not things that need to be filled in yet. He's already planned everything that he's going to do. It's a complete plan. There's nothing that he has to see. How is it going to work out? Because his plan is overall. It is noteworthy that it is in his right hand because the right hand is always the place of authoritative action. It is the plan that he carries out is the one who has the plan, who has made the plan. He executes his decrees, as our catechism says. He He's the God that decrees all things according to the counsel of his own will. And then he exercises or, or executes that plan. And here in this verse, it is the right hand then of the one on the throne. It is his orders that are to be carried out by as the one who says, go and they go. Remember the uh, centurion when he was healed, he said, I'm a man that has authority and I tell him go and he goes. I tell him to come and he comes. He looks at the Lord. He says, you can do that. You can do that in a bigger way than I can. God is the one who says, let there be light. And then there's light, just like that. He has all authority. So how do we know that it contains his plan for the future? We just we'll scroll and like, why, why do we make this assumption here? Well, it's, it, we know because we, we cheat a little bit. We look ahead. <laughs> What happens when this scroll is taken and, and what's done with it? You know, it, 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 what, what follows when the scroll is opened? God's plan for the world is launched. It's unleashed, especially in relation to the church and her enemies. Okay, symbolically in the vision, as each seal is open, things happen. Things are sent forth into the earth to bring about things upon the earth. With each seal, a new part of God's plan. Angels and demons are dispatched according to God's plan. God's Son is even sent forth to do various things as this book unfolds and the various seals and other things are opened over the time. It's all done according to what is written in the scroll as each seal is open. According to what? What was written beforehand. According to what God planned beforehand. It's not like one seal is done and then he says, okay, let me write the next plan up after, okay, that happened that way. I'm going to make another plan. Okay, here's the second one. No, it's all there. Seven seals. The plan is all there. And each one unfurls as things progress in Revelation. One thing to clarify, though, this scroll is not God's entire plan, but it's the plan that he has and is unfolding to John and through John to us of how he will establish his kingdom. That's the focus of it. His providence is especially oriented around establishing his kingdom of righteousness in the earth, the church 
that will be forever and ever, the people of God that will inherit the earth, the meek will inherit the earth, new heavens and new earth will be completely restored to its former perfection, and uh, it includes not only gathering in his people, but also bringing the destruction, much of it includes bringing destruction to Satan and those who oppose God in his reign, so that everything will be brought in subjection at last in the whole world to our Lord. So here is the plan for the establishment of God's kingdom of righteousness. God's gracious plan for bringing his people to glory is laid out. Now, second thing, the vision shows us that this plan cannot be carried out unless someone who is worthy comes forth to open the scroll. So we're given more than what Daniel saw. Daniel just saw that he came up, there he was, and he was given dominion. He went to the right hand. But there's more behind it. So here in Revelation, we get to see what is going on behind that. What had to occur. The vision shows us. A strong angel asked, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? See that in verse 2. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? Note well that it requires someone who's worthy to open it. It's not just that they must be strong, but they must be worthy. Since it's about establishing God's righteous kingdom, it must be someone who is himself righteous and someone who is able to make others righteous. How could a kingdom of righteousness advance if there is no one who is righteous to advance it? How do you have an unrighteous person advance a righteous kingdom? In the end, how do you, how, th- th- this is what is required. The angel is strong and the voice is loud because the voice goes to every single human being. Those that are in heaven, those that are on earth, and those that are under the earth. Okay, the voice launches forth this call. The earth is full of unrighteousness and a righteousness. A righteous representative must be found somewhere. Otherwise, the plan cannot ensue. It cannot go forward. So is there a righteous one? Is there anyone who is worthy? That's what the voice looks for. No one is found. Revelation 5.3 And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. It's a sad commentary on mankind, isn't it? Not one. It says, Romans 3.10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are their ways and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no way for a kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of God, to advance to glory with such people to lead it. The plan of the overthrow of wickedness and the establishment of a people for God is impossible 
without a worthy, righteous person to execute the plan. No one is even fit to look into the scroll. They can't even look at the plan because no one is worthy. It's sealed up and it's inaccessible. John is very distressed. Verse 4, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look into it. The word that's translated wept there, it's a very strong word, and it says he did it much. It speaks of a loud wailing, not just a little bit of a, <laughs> or a few tears. This is a, a bawling because no one is found. Being in this glorious place and seeing this glorious God and seeing that there is no way for a people to be brought to him, John is deeply and rightly moved. It is a sentiment that we all ought to have and sense and experience. Okay? Every believer comes to see that it would be a most dreadful thing. Okay? When, when we're convicted of our sin, we see that it would be a most dreadful thing to be cut off from the Lord with no way to be restored. That should make us lament to think of such a thing. When the Holy Spirit converts a person, they have a sense of their sin and their misery, and they see that they have no way to save themselves, that there is no priest on earth who can save them, no ritual that they can do, 10,000 rivers of oil and uh, tears that flow without ceasing of repentance, no payment that anyone in heaven or on earth can make. And there's a sense of dread and horror of being shut out forever and ever from the kingdom of God, from God. As believers, there is the horror and sadness of seeing a soul turned away. When there are those that we love that turn away from God, it brings great grief and sorrow to us. And here John sees even on a big scale that God's plan for the establishment of the whole church is suspended. And he wails. There is one. This is the one who is called a son of thunder. He's not a man that cries over every little thing. He's called one of the sons of thunder. And he bawls because of what he sees here. Our gracious Lord does not leave poor Dear John the Apostle in his distress for long, when our Lord, our gracious Lord, sees a soul in distress about this, about his kingdom, and about people being shut out from him forever, and he sees a soul in distress about that, he is moved to go to that one and relieve their distress. He is pleased to see that love for him that wants to be reconciled to him, that love for others, when a soul is convicted of sin, and we, when we see our sin, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and we see that we're cut off from God and we cry out to Him, God moves. He's moved by that. Even though John was wrong to not know that the Lord surely has a plan and even to know what that plan entails with all that he knew as an apostle, 
Our Lord is tender toward His disciple, and He sends relief to him. He sends one of the 24 elders. Verse 5, But one of the elders said to me, John is speaking here, One of the elders said to me, John, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. The elder is not named. It doesn't say that Peter or James or that Elijah or someone came to him. It just says there's no mention of specific individuals in these visions because they're visions. Okay, it's simply one of the 24 elders. It's a representative of the church, which John was as well, comes to the apostle here. He comforts the great apostle with what seems to have a shade of rebuke in it. Do not weep, as if to say, do you not know that there is one who is worthy to open the scroll? He describes the Messiah, the Christ, whom John walked with for three years when he was on the earth, and whom John wrote about and knew more intimately than us all. He calls him the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, the Jews all knew what that meant. From Genesis 49, the Lord had promised to Judah that Messiah would come, the Messiah who would save his people and lead them to victory over their enemies and bring them to God would come through Judah, that the scepter would not depart from Judah until the one of peace came. To make his identity even more certain, this elder calls him the root of David. He is worthy to execute God's plan. He is not only the one who is the son of David, born of David's line, but also the one who actually brought forth David. Later on, he's called the root and offspring of David, the one from which David comes and the one who comes from David. It's a beautiful picture. Surely he has prevailed to open the scroll. He is worthy to execute God's plan upon the earth, to establish God's kingdom, and to bring it to glory according to God's decree that is written in the scroll. He is worthy to open the seals so that the work can advance and move forward to accomplishment, to fulfillment. So John turns. He turns to look at this lion of the tribe of Judah. So, you know, you picture, okay, here's, here's Aslan, you know, this big lion that he's, he's going to see. And uh, he, he, he turns to look. And what does he see? A lamb as if it had been slain. Verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne... And of the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. (laughs) This This is absolutely glorious. Glorious, glorious, glorious. You know, there's so much to Christ, you can't depict him with one single thing. You have to have a lamb that looks like it's been slain, and you have to have a lion that is mighty and that rules over and tramples Satan and all the, all the hosts of, of wickedness. It, it, it's, it's glorious, these pictures. The Messiah is worthy. Why? Why is He worthy to open the scroll? Because He is a lamb slain to take away the sin of the world. 
This is what makes him able to advance the kingdom of righteousness because he has purchased it. And God gives him an inheritance that is his due. This is what gives him the right to execute the plan to destroy Satan and all the hosts of wickedness that come against him. All who are in league and in rebellion against God. He became the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. He has reconciled us to God by the blood of the covenant, by making Himself an offering for our sins. Now, the kingdom can come. See how He reigns. What does it say about His reign here? He is in the midst, midst of the throne. Like, that's kind of interesting language, isn't it? The midst of the throne. It, it, it is given to Him to share the throne with the Father. That's what Daniel showed us, isn't it? He is thus given dominion and authority over all things in heaven and earth. Again, what Daniel said. All judgment is given into his hand. What Jesus said would happen in John 5. He will do the Father's will. He will carry out the plan. Not only is he reigning in the midst of the throne, but he's also said to be in the midst of his people. Remember that the elders who represent the whole church were on thrones before the Father and the four living creatures who represent the ministers of the church are round about the throne. The church, in other words, is reigning with Christ who is reigning with the Father in glory. That's the picture that we have here. We are reigning with Him in the heavenly places as His people. As Ephesians said, we are seated with him who reigns in glory in the heavenly places. He will bring us to victory. He will lead us to glory. We are united with him in bringing on the kingdom of righteousness. With him as our shepherd and our leader and our redeemer and our head. Glory be to our Savior. Notice also he is furnished with everything that he needs to carry out the plan of God. He has been given all power and authority signified by the seven horns. The horns always representing authority. And so he has all authority, seven being the number of completeness. He has the power and authority now as the mediator to carry out this work, to take vengeance on our enemies and to establish us in glory. He has also the power to convert all of the elect that the Father has given him to bring them into this kingdom, to transform them so that we might be fit to dwell with God and brought to perfection by sanctification. Of course, that's the Holy Spirit's work. We're going to see that connection in just a minute. He has also given, been given wisdom and knowledge signified by seven eyes. Perfect vision. To see and understand everything correctly. Okay, he's omniscient. He knows all. He alone can understand what is written in the scroll and how God's marvelous inscrutable plan is to be carried out. How would you like to have the responsibility of having that scroll and carrying it? We wouldn't even dream of it. He is, he is the only one that can, can carry that out. He can see each one of us. 
He knows just what is needed for each one of us. We've seen that in the seven letters that he was very intimately acquainted with the churches. He knew the individuals in the churches. Whoever overcomes will receive this. Those who don't will receive that. Uh, he brings the full. He is capable of knowing how to bring blessing and bringing the blessing, knowing just what we need as he ministers to us through our time here and all eternity. And you see that he is also has the seven spirits of God. Surely the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This is his very name, isn't it? What is his name? What do we call him? What is his title? We call him the Christ. The Old Testament equivalent to that name, I hope you remember this, Messiah. I've talked to you about this before. Messiah, Christ, those are the same. They mean the same thing. One is used more in the Old and the other in the New Testament, the Greek, from the Greek word Christ, Christos. So then you have those two names. They mean what? The anointed one. Well, what is he anointed with? Oil was used to anoint prophets and priests and kings in the Old Testament to show that they were set apart for office to God. What does oil represent? The Holy Spirit. He is the Christ because he is anointed with the Holy Spirit to carry out the work of redemption that God appointed for him to do. It is the same spirit that he and his father sent into the world, into the earth, to work in us and to connect us to him and his father. How are you connected to Jesus Christ? By the Holy Spirit, by the spirit of grace, the helper, the one that was sent from above that came and convicted your sin of heart. I mean, your, your heart of sin so that you repented and you turned to him. And then turning to him, what did the Spirit do? He came to dwell in you and to associate you with Jesus Christ to make you a part of his body, the Spirit that fills him that now goes to us. He is the Aaron who has the oil that's poured on his head. And where does it go? All the way down to the hem of his garment. All of his people have the Spirit because he has the Spirit. He is the anointed one. As John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water. He baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. He is the mighty Spirit, and He works in the earth to gather and sanctify all of God's people. And He will not fail because it is His work. It is not our work. It is the work of this risen, reigning Redeemer who has the scroll. Well, I haven't got to that yet. Let's get to that. Um, see how He takes the scroll. That's the next thing. God's plan is put into his hands to carry it through. Verse 7. This is what Daniel saw. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now Daniel doesn't tell us about the scroll like I mentioned before. He just tells us that he went to reign with the Father on the throne. But we see now the detail. He, the plan was put into his hand. My brothers and sisters, let us rejoice and be glad. The future is with our Lord Jesus Christ who came to save us. The future is in capable hands. God has put his plan into the, his hands because he is worthy to execute that plan. He is furnished. He has all that is necessary to carry out that plan. The, fully, the filling of the spirit, the, the seven eyes, the seven horns. He is the one who reigns forever and ever, who knows all things. In verse 8 through 10, we see how the church worships him. Now, we're going to detail this next week, but let's just glance at it now. Now, when he had taken the scroll, so here the 
Messiah comes, he takes the scroll. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lord, each having a harp and the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Again, next week we'll look at this in more detail, but for now, just see that the whole church rejoices that the authority, that all authority is given to him to establish the kingdom. The whole church praises him and the whole church reigns with him because he has redeemed us. Where would we all be without him? Where would we be without him? What hope would we have? What possible anything could we do if we did not have this one who has the plan in his hand? Let us then lean on him. No one else can bring us to glory. No one else can make us holy. No one else can take away our sins. No one else can reconcile us to God. Only the Lamb who was slain can do all of that. Do not let your weakness discourage you. Let your weakness drive you to the one who is sufficient and able to save you and to bring you to glory. Put yourself into the care of the one who is able to save and you can be sure that you will be saved. He is, the, he is one of us, having come here in our flesh. And the Father has put all things into His hand. This is what we saw when we studied Hebrews earlier. That Christ became man, and then as man was given dominion over all things. Hebrews 2, 5-9 explains that now in Christ, man's dominion is restored and is being restored. So we could have sung Psalm 8 today too. <laughs> it talks about that. But look, look at what it says here in uh, Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. It's not an angel that redeemed us. But one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. When did that happen? When did that happen? When did man have all things put under, in subjection under his feet again? When was that restored? It was when Christ went to sit at the right hand. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels. He came here in, the, in, in our flesh. In this fallen world, we see him who is made a little lower than the angel for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. We lost dominion by sinning, so that instead of ruling on earth, we end up dying and having the earth cover us. We turn to dust again. We're, we're swallowed up by the ground. We were supposed to walk on the earth. We were made dominion to, to not to die, to live on the earth. We fell we lost that dominion, and now Christ restores that dominion. How? Because he was slain. Because he died for our sin. He has the scroll then, and he is now poised to carry out all that is planned. 
There is no reason to fret. You see the restlessness of nations. You see them with their wrath against the kingdom of God. You see them unleashing that wrath, trying to destroy the people of God, trying to wipe out the church. There is no reason for any of you to fret. There's reason for you to pray. There's reason for you to cry out to God when you see these things going on in the world. But He will accomplish everything. Not one of His sheep will be lost. Not one enemy will stand in the end. The Father has put all things into the hands of the Son, our reigning Lord Jesus Christ. He has dominion. He is appointed to carry out the Father's full plan. Will you have Him as your Lord and Savior? If you will not, then you will be crushed by Him because He is the only Lord. Are you trusting in Him? Are you comfortable and resting in His reign? You can be very comfortable in His reign even though you are still a sinner because His reign involves the sacrifice, the shedding of His blood made for the forgiveness of your sin. So you don't need to shy away from Him. You don't need to run away from Him. You come boldly to Him and and say, Lord, take me and take me to be fully Yours. Make me wholly Yours. Sanctify me. Bring me to glory. Cleanse me from all of my sin. Deliver me from all of my unrighteousness. And He will not fail. He has all authority in heaven and earth. Please stand and let's praise His name and call on His name. Our gracious Lord God and our Savior Jesus Christ, we praise You for these visions that that John was privileged to see and that we are privileged to receive from his communication that is not just John's private interpretation of these things. No prophecy of Scripture ever came by private interpretation, but it's rather the interpretation that you gave to him, the sure word of prophecy. John is able to convey these things just as they are to be conveyed. And we thank you, Lord, for the glorious things that are spoken here of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray, O Lord, that you would help us to rejoice and be glad, that we would take great comfort, O Lord, that he is the one who is reigning over all. If we're not, if we're not converted, then we should be very distressed that he is reigning. We should repent and we should come to him quickly to be restored, for he welcomes all who repent and come to him. But, O oh Lord, if we have come to you, we have every reason for full assurance, for joy and gladness. He will not misstep. He will not fail. The whole plan is in his hand. And he will bring everyone. He, he said that multiple times on the earth. He would not lose one that the Father had given him from before the foundation of the world. We read in Acts, after he was up there, how that those that were ordained to salvation came and believed and repented of their sins. And so it is today, Lord. Those that you have chosen will come. Not one will be lost. Our Lord Jesus will see to it. He who has the seven spirits of God that are sent into all the earth to carry out this great work. Oh, Father, thank you that we can be part of that great worshiping community that fills the earth and that many have already departed and gone to be with you. We thank you, Lord, that we will all be gathered together at the last day in a glorious company, and we will be able to praise you forever and ever and to praise our Lord Jesus Christ who reigns and who has redeemed us by his blood. 
Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have. And as we look next week at that glorious adoration and praise of this Savior of ours, we pray, Lord, that we would be able to rejoice that we have a part in that worship and that we would add our full voice to the chorus. We pray, Lord, that our voices would be fuller than they are now, that there would be a a deep-rooted praise that rises from within us, O Lord that we would lift up our voices, that we would lift up our hearts to you with adoration. There is no one like our Lord Jesus Christ. He reigns forever and ever. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come, blessed be your holy name. Amen. Blessed are all that on him stay. Everyone that relies on him by faith will be richly blessed at last. You're God's people. You're trusting in him. Receive his blessing. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of his good promise which he promised. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us nor forsake us that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which he has commanded our fathers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.